I actually think that's that sometimes getting out of the material and looking at it through different lenses or different, you know, other processes gives us something that we take back to the clay afterwards. Um, so I'm actually really encouraged by the idea of using things like AI for artists to really sketch things out in a very different way. Welcome to the Color and Ceramics podcast. I'm Bob Acton, and I'm really happy to introduce Carol Epp to our show. Carol is a marvelous ceramic artist living and practicing in Saskatchewan, Canada. Carol has two distinct bodies of work, including sculpture objects as well as domestic functional objects. Her artwork and writing has been shown and published around the world, most notably in 2017 in Ceramics Monthly, when she was named the Ceramic Artist of the Year. She is a fierce advocate for the ceramics community, and she is the editor of Musing About Mud, an online blog all about clay, and she is the co-founder of Make and Do Ceramics, which is a Canadian collective focused on the promotion of Canadian ceramics internationally. We talked about her journey in art and how she thinks about color, form, and the illustrations she uses in some of her work, and she had some great tips for fellow artists. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Color and Ceramics, the podcast for ceramic artists who want valuable ideas about using color from leading artists and world-class experts. Here's your host, Bob Acton, a sculptor and ceramic artist who's fascinated with color and how potters, sculptors, and artists use color in their work. Tune in as he talks with his guests about color, techniques, and the impact of color on people and art itself. Carol, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast here. I'm pretty excited about you uh, being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation we're going to have. I'm totally curious to hear your thoughts on color and everything, too. So this is going to be wonderful. Thanks for yeah. having me on. Uh, you're most welcome. I, you know, I really like your work, and I've seen you do little different things, I guess. Uh, some of the stuff that I've seen you do over the last little while is I, uh, I was I, in my mind as I'm talking to you, I see, I see this bright pink and black piece that really struck me. And then when I look at some of your other work, it's, it's got characters in it and you're telling a story on, on some functional wear. So I really love that uh, work that you're doing. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. These have been, I mean, ceramics is just, I'm obsessed. I'm completely enamored by the potential of the material and the possibilities. And so, yeah, in the last, some of the, the one you mentioned, like the pink and gray one. Yeah, I, I want to dig into some of that stuff because I've actually done this shift in this last year where I'm doing a lot more online, even with AI and, and designing things. And that's actually really gotten me thinking way more about color than I ever did before. So, yeah. Perfect timing then. Hey, hey, uh, uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your why, like how you got into this, what turns your crank about uh, doing clay and ceramics and, and just give people a sense of you and your background. 
Absolutely. So I started in ceramics, like it's the same story that I've heard so often when I've interviewed artists in clay. It's just, oh, I had to take this ceramics class in college and I didn't really want to and I took it and then I never looked back. I'm one of those. I'm in that club. So um, yeah, I really thought I was going to be a painter. I wanted to do something creative and artistic and then clay just absolutely drew me in um, the the entire process, the, you know, the getting dirty, the 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 understanding of materials and and the push and pull of the conversation that the clay has with you when you're trying to mold it all of that really was something that just yeah it just spoke to me that it was I think a lot of clay to me is is that it's the material has such a large component of the conversation that I get to feel as an artist that I get to sort of I can imbue what I want into the work, but I also get to sort of stand back and let the beauty of the material just take over and, and have part of the conversation, too. So, yeah, it's just been it's been what, 25 years or so. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time I've been working in clay. So, yeah, over the years, like my passion for what inspires me has changed as well, too. So, um, yeah, a lot of work in the past was sculptural stuff. Uh, a lot more political, social commentary stuff, and then shifting into those illustrative dishes you mentioned before. That was totally inspired by having kids and and shifting, um, you know, the different kinds of things that were going through our house and and being inspired by the illustrations and children's books, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then the socially the social political commentary started filtering into those things too and and so yeah I find ceramics this is really interesting um you can use the vessel to really deal with some difficult subject matter because we start with this object that's familiar and so every time that I I want to present subject matter that's really difficult to sort of digest or to to work through emotionally um, I find that there's this comfort. It's like a quilt. It's like this thing that you go to when you're, you know, this warm cup of coffee, this warm soup. And so these objects that we already associate with comfort, um, I think are really interesting to, to not well, play around with, subvert, I don't know what the right word is, but to just, you know, these objects are in our house. And so we're able to sort of digest the maybe the subject matter a little bit easier because we're more comfortable with them. So yeah, that's kind of why I've sort of stayed within ceramics is that that attachment to the domestic sphere and everything. I do a lot of painting and everything else around it, but it's there's always something that draws me back to that object that you hold in your hand and that you interact with day to day so there's a real visceral quality to it isn't there oh absolutely yeah yeah no absolutely and this I mean and just the idea of like objects within this you know we all exist in this capitalist society of like we we collect things and we love things and and ceramics is one of those things where it's each one is so unique and so different that it's we're collecting all these different stories from different people that's I really love that it's these different narratives or or languages visual languages that people present through clay is I feel like it's and I'm biased, but it's like, I feel like ceramics really shows this really incredible broad range of what artists are capable of doing. There's so many different facets of research and stuff within ceramics that it's just, it's never ending in terms of its inspiration. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a tremendous complexity to it, isn't there? I, yeah. you know, in, in lots of ways, 
there's a simplistic quality to it. As you were talking, I was thinking about a mug, and many of us relate to ceramics through a mug, right? It's the, often the biggest seller that's, that that yes. <laughs> uh, that potters have, and and it's simple. And it, you know, when I have my cup of coffee, I'm touching my lips with the art, as opposed to you know my painting on the wall here, which I really cherish as well. But it's very different to the complexity of um, the surface design, the heat that we have to apply to it, the chemistry, the I mean, it's very complex. Yeah. And I think it exists in this different, like the art as art in our homes, it exists differently. I recently, this entire room that I'm I'm speaking to you from is our dining room. And I just, over the holidays, I took it over and I changed it into an office studio space. And I said, enough, we don't use this dining room enough. This is what I'm doing. But one of the things that I did, I actually had an entire china cabinet full of ceramics and other pieces of art and stuff on the wall and I actually took almost everything down and put it in boxes and put it away because you know it's that paintings sort of exist on the wall or or objects that we're not using and we just we stop paying attention to them right it's I've chosen this I want it in my house it inspires me whatever but it just becomes part of the wallpaper and I feel like ceramics doesn't do that you know every time I open my cupboard and there is like I don't want to say how many mugs I have <laughs> my husband's always what? like we have three shelves worth and they're all double stacked like what? but you know like there's 50 mugs to choose from so every day I'm making active choices right? Just to have my coffee mug in the morning. I'm making active choices about what's going to inspire me, what kind of, you know, like if it's more of a warm brown mug, like that might be say something about my mood that day or whatever. So there's just this other level of engagement with those objects that I find really exciting that, yeah, like paintings and stuff just don't quite cut it, but don't tell the painters I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that completely. Yesterday I made bread and so I went into my cupboard and the bowl that I chose to uh, let the bread rise in I thought about it, right? And uh, so I get what you mean. That's very interesting. Yeah. And so you brought up the notion of color, and I wanted to chat about color because that's what this podcast is about, really about the nature of color and surface design and how it interacts with form. Uh, you mentioned to me, I think before we started the recording, that you had done your master's in Australia. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how color and surface design kind of has emerged in your mind as you have developed as an artist. Yeah. So thinking about going back to when I was in Australia, the pots I was making as a grad student, because I made figurative work and then I made pots as well. Um, but I was using southernized porcelain and it was like, it's the beauty of that clay body. I just couldn't put anything on it. <laughs> so most of those were really about the form, um, the shape, how it was held in your hand and whatnot. So the outside of those pieces was was white. It just had a clear glaze. And then the inside I would play around with um, blues and greens and, and whatnot, sort of using copper red glazes, but firing them in oxidation and just the beautifulness of that um but so I wasn't really thinking about color and stuff at that time in the same way that I do now um I I was really focused on form and then the sculptural work had a lot of color in it I was using overglazes and underglazes and everything to get all these vibrant colors and stuff so that they would sort of relate to um 
the historical pieces, the historical figurines that I was was referencing. But yeah, it's sort of strange because I was so those pieces that I the functional pieces that I made when I was in Australia, I loved so much about that form. Um, and I've always wanted to sort of reintegrate it in to my work. But when I started doing illustrations, the forms became so much simpler. And I took away all of what I loved about those forms that I had been creating. I sort of walked away from that um, in order to put all this narrative and illustration and stuff on there. Um, so it's been honestly, it's been like 20 some years of just like trying to work my way back to that form too, to figure out how to integrate form and color. Like these are, I think we think that artists work in this way where it's sort of a project and we're done and we move on to the next thing. But I see, especially now that I've been doing it for so long, these massive cycles of working my way back to ideas that I had when I was 20 that still I don't have the answers for, right? So everything in my practice is about answering questions. I love I love the questions um, and whatnot. So it's like the, these beautiful arcs back to ideas that were there before and how I would reinterpret those with color or with, you know, different design and stuff later in life. Like it's just one idea that we had when we were 20 can be, you know, a spark for a lifetime of stuff but you kind of need to go off on all these tangents in the meantime and those add to those things right mm -hmm. um so can yeah you give, so can you give us a sense of the kind of questions that you have that you've posed and 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 work through oh so many <laughs> so many but i think the biggest if i if i had to pick one question that's like the core of my practice is is i'm trying to figure out the best way to have a conversation with someone else. And so I've described before my practice as being, I'm this object maker um, who is trying to get your attention and keep your attention long enough for you to understand what I'm trying to put out there, you know, the subject matter or whatever. Um, but to me, it's like if the object in the end fell away and we just had a conversation one-on-one, -on -one, I think the art is in that conversation, if that makes sense. So these objects that I'm making are always just these vehicles towards something bigger. Um, and so really the questions that I have are so much about the human condition. Like I'm just so curious about, about life and how we live and the choices that we make and how we deal with trauma or how we deal with joy and, you know, how we create joy, how, how all these things sort of intertwine. And so um, that's my biggest question and, and how, what material like I'm always asking in the studio like what's the best way to get this subject matter across and so if you do I mean I I'm a ceramic artist the bulk of what I send out to the world is ceramics but around my studio there's all these there's drawings there's digital stuff there's embroidery there's quilting there's wood burning and all of those things are ways of trying to figure out what the best material or process is to get those ideas out um, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's sort of one of my biggest questions is like how to make really effective art, art that actually, you know, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste anybody else's time. I want to, I want to have those gut punch moments where people are just, they're stopped in their tracks by a piece. Right. So yeah, I'm kind of trying to figure out how to do that. It's my biggest question. So, so what are some of your things that you've learned about how to select a surface or a, or a found object or a color or like what, 
Have you got any hints for people about how to do that? Because I bet you that question you have is experienced by other people as well. Well, one of the most powerful things that I saw once was I was doing a market sale. It was pre-Christmas, kind of crazy. You know, one of those three-day ones where yeah. it's loud and obnoxious and you just can't even bear getting through it. Um, but I had sort of in the booth, I had on the one side, a lot of this work that had been stuff from my grad studies and then sort of explorations that I took with that form into different clay bodies and firing temperatures and stuff like that. So I had played around with that and bringing like chinos and stonewares and stuff in. But so half the table was this sort of formal investigations. And then on the other side was where I, I sort of in started introducing this children's line of work that had illustrations on it and at the time it was all just um black illustration like black line illustration on white clay but I stood there at the sale that entire weekend and I could see people walking by or coming into the booth and they would look at the stuff on the one side and they would just sort of glance over and then they turn their face to the other side and this their face would just change and they would smile and they would engage and I just went oh that's it. Like the simplest thing about like making somebody smile. I went, okay, there's something here I need to explore more. Right. Cause that's like, if you can create happiness that might turn into joy, like long, long enduring joy in somebody's life, like seeing the, the seed of something like that starting was really powerful for me. So I kind of stepped away from the form at that point, those, those other formal investigations and went, okay, there's something here that's bringing joy where I'm going to push into that and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out that where that is. And I think what, what really works is, is that people see themselves in the pots now in a different way, not asking them to try and, and learn about, you know, atmospheric firing or, you know, I mean, and it, there's so many great artists that do do that and really do educate the general population about those kinds of things. But for me, it was like, I just, I wanted to connect way more immediately and illustration did that, right? So you put a figure, you put cats, you put whatever on things and people just go, they see themselves, right? And that idea of seeing people represented in the objects that they're bringing into their home, that was really beautiful to me. So that sort of sparked this whole other really narrative um on functional work sort of component of my practice. Yeah. So it's like creating things are objects that provoke an emotional reaction in people mm -hmm. how, yeah. how do you how do you test that how do you find out what work uh, color form story illustration what how do you find out what will uh, poke at people to create that emotional reaction all just playing around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing you and everybody that you interact with is going to react differently to things and, and what have you. But yeah, it's basically just trial and error at this point for me. But, but seeing those moments, you know, where, you know, just really digesting that and going, okay, there's something here in something as simple of an act of making somebody smile, right? And and then at the same sale, and I've told this story before, but it's one that I just go back to all the time. There was there was this lovely lady who was there and she was trying to find something for her brother. 
And um, she she had been picking up a couple different cups and, you know, back and forth. And I'd sort of engaged with her to try and figure out what she wanted and stuff. And and it was this, you know, like an espresso or a wine cup for her her brother. And so she was holding one of these old older Southern ice form focused kind of pots. But she kept going to the other side of the booth and picking up this little white cup that had very simple, um, just stamped letters in it in orange. Right. And it's just the alphabet. It was just a total, very plain kids cup. And she just couldn't put it down. And so finally she was like, no, this is the one for my brother. And she gives me the other one. And I said, that's fine. I'm going to wrap this up for you, but I'm not going to let you leave until you tell me what the hell's going on with that other cup. <laughs> yeah. He went, okay. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I like, I've, you've been here for 20 minutes back and forth, like, and you've come back and you know, whatever. So um, she said to me about how she was back in the city and she was her mother had just passed away. And so her and her brother were actually going through the house and going through all of her mother's things and and sort of pulling out these boxes from their childhood and, and, and just going through all of those memories. Right. And like she was just in the you could see in her face when she started telling me this, like she was just so in that moment of grief and of, you know, just processing and stuff. So it ended up that this cup for her, what it reminded her of was she had found this dress that her mom had kept. That was one of her favorite dresses in her memory that she, had, you know, thought of over the years and stuff, but it was a dress from her childhood and it had uh, this beautiful like yoke on the top of the dress and it was embroidered in orange with the alphabet letters. You know, so here I am standing in a booth and I'm sobbing and she's crying and everybody around us is going, what? And my sister was helping me with the sale. She's a geologist. I love her to bits. She's super helpful. But she's standing there going like, what is going on? Why are you crying? Like, what's happening here? And I'm like this, this moment, you're witnessing this moment of of every every question I have coming together, right? And to be able to provide somebody something in a time of grief that reminds them of something of joy in their lives, like, holy hell, like, that's what it's about, right? That's such a tender moment. Great, great, a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things like that, just I go, that's what keeps me going. Like it just, when I have these days where I'm like, art doesn't matter. No, we need to go get a, need to go get a different job. And then I think about people like that um, and other stories that I've had over the years like that. And you just go, even if I impact 10 people that deeply in my life, that's incredible. That's success. Yeah. yeah. I was recently at a show before Christmas, one of those crazy shows you're talking about, and there was a very good artist across the way, and he and I chatted over over the course of the few days. And we ended up talking about how our job really is to create an emotional reaction in people. And sometimes with some of the stuff I do, people have a, a positive reaction and sometimes they have a negative reaction, but it's that emotional connection. And you know, as you were telling me that story about that woman, it it made me think that often potters can stay in their studio. You know, we can get down in our little space and and we're all by ourselves often. And 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 yet there's some real value in what you're talking about, about connecting with others, with our clients or other people around um around the color. Like it was the color and the shapes in this case that made a difference for her. How, how do you practice that? Do you get out connecting with people to find out about that emotional reaction? 
I do. Well, and any market that I do, I, I'm definitely one of those people where if somebody's picking up certain pieces and I see them reacting to it, now I'm like, hey, what's that about? And I'll ask them, you know, right? And it's the same with every market that I do. There's always like one cup that everybody touches, but nobody buys. I don't know if you've ever had this. Yes, I, yes. I feel like every sale is just, everybody's like, oh my gosh. And then it just sits there. And then by the end of the sale, somebody will take it home and I'll be like, you really got to wash that one. It's been touched. by." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I definitely, I cherish those moments when people can also be very honest with me about what it is that they're seeing in the work. And I know that that's, those are not the best environments for that, but it's also, you know, they're relaxed environments. And I think I actually where I'm at in my career and stuff now too, like I'm still questioning like the, the value of, of traditional art galleries and all that kind of stuff too, because they sort of keep us away from those interactions as artists with our audience. Right. And that to me, like if those are the moments that I'm seeking, then galleries, you know, and big productions of this and that, whatever, they're cold and they don't have that, that inner engagement. Right. And so there is something about getting your work out to a larger audience, but um, for me, it's still always going to be about those one-on-ones, right. And what people are getting in that. And then, yeah. And I remember when I had a friend, Kathy Terapaki, who's an incredible potter who used to live here and she's now in Yarrow in BC. Um, around that time too, she said to me, she's like, what about color? Like, what about adding little bits of color to the drawings and stuff? And I was like, oh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. I had, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Design wise, everything. I was like, this is too much. And I, but I pondered it for so long and I still have the first plate that I ever made that has a drawing of a little girl. And all I did was put little red polka dots on her dress. That was the only color that was there, but it was one of those ones where you go, oh, Okay. Yeah. No, this, this, this could add more layers to it. And now I have clients every once in a while who are like, Oh, I had this piece that you made years ago and it's just the black and white. Can you do that again? I'm like, I can't. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so simplistic that it's just, it doesn't have, it doesn't hold energy and life to me anymore without that color. Like the color has just changed everything about that work. Gosh, there's a couple of questions I have for you that are a little different, but I, I got to stick with this one because we've been talking about relationship. And really, it seems like that art doesn't end with the completion of the piece, whether it's a painting or a or a piece of pottery or or sculpture. That that it also involves the person looking at the piece and touching the piece. Uh, that that's a big part of it. And that's even with this person who wanted no color, they wanted the, the lines again. There's something about color that uh, is provocative, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was also the type of person that, you know, used to wear black clothes all the time. And well, I am today, but that's a bad example. <laughs> but you know, I remember when it was suddenly like people would be like, oh, you've got like, that's hot pink. What are you wearing and stuff? And I think even color in terms of, of my life and what what I wanted to see in my surroundings and stuff all the time or how I wanted to present myself like I just didn't have the confidence to wear color and now I'm like I don't care I'm 45 I don't care I'll just wear whatever but but there there is something about that right like about drawing 
I mean, the same way that, you know, the clothes that we wear can really draw people's attention. It's the same with whatever it is, the clothes, the glaze that we put on that pot, right? That's the first thing that people are going to, to visually be attracted to, right? And so form and, and, and the holding and the feel of everything is one thing, and we want them to get to that point. But, but I think their first reaction is definitely based on just like that that surface, that glaze, that, that, yeah, whatever color you're presenting. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I had a sense when you were talking a bit earlier about when you were moving into a little bit of color, that there was a little tentativeness on your part to, to take on that color. Can you tell us what that was about? Um, I'll try and think. I psychoanalyzed myself 20 years later, but um, yeah, I don't know. There was, I think it was it was about that boldness, right? And and it being sort of I think I worried too, because they were sort of childlike illustrations, I worried that it would come across a bit too much um like cheesy or paint-like or or I don't know. It would just sort of diminish. I mean, I think I also, I'll admit, I had issues too when I started making children's dishes because I had that like grad school professor part of my brain going, you're making kids dishes. Did you seriously pay for this education? And now you're going to go make kids dishes. And it's the best thing I've ever done is to, to start that line of kids dishes, which are for adults and whatever else. But I think I was just really hesitant about the whole thing, right? But at the same time, I was raising my kids and seeing all this plastic everywhere and nothing to me that was like accessible in terms of financially or, you know, like just made for kids that was in ceramics. There just wasn't enough of that. And so I thought, oh, forget that. Like, this is where, this is where we learn is when we're children by, you know, like that learning of the objects that are around us and what are our parents had in the house and stuff sets us up for the rest of our lives and what we'll engage with right so um I actually think that that's an incredibly it's it's like the idea of getting arts in elementary schools and really always fighting for that arts program to me it's like fighting for art that's specifically made for children and stuff is really important too now I don't think I answered your question I totally you did sucked. you did you answered my question because I think you said that what helped you get over that tentativeness and and that was even there because of your uh, art professors who sort of to put these ideas about how you should do your work. And, and, but I heard you tap into what's important for you. It was, you tapped into your values and, and that's what helped you get over that tentativeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There. Yeah. And I mean, at the time, like we were bringing home picture books for the kids from the library. And like, honestly, some of that art that existed in those illustrations was so touching to me. And the fact that it was just, that was everything I was looking at during that time, um, really honed in that whole narrative to me of like, yeah, like what we're teaching them right now. And in terms of like moral lessons, but also in terms of aesthetic lessons and all that stuff really does. Yeah, it sets up your value system and everything going forward. But at the time, too, like I when I first started playing with color, I really didn't understand how to use it either. Right. So I had taken painting classes in college where we did all the color theory and what have you. But I hadn't I didn't feel like I'd been trained to think about color in ceramics yet. 
right? If that makes sense. So um, why we're choosing the colors we are, the clay bodies we are, all of that kind of stuff. It's like, we we need to think about it, but, but I wasn't thinking about it beyond like a white clay body because then it's like a piece of paper to give the the image, right? So there is a lot that I've, I'm still struggling to sort of put together and piece together over the years. But a lot of what I was doing at the time was I was just painting the underglazes on as you know as they are as they come and so there was just this this sort of I don't know like I felt like they were it was just this dead chunk of color all the time because it was just this solid painted chunk like the shirt on the character was just like a solid red or whatever and I didn't like that there was something that that didn't work material wise for me it just it was it was really like here's surface here's form and they're just stuck together and they're not meshing at all and so when I started playing around more with the underglazes and and getting some training with some other people and stuff I I started drying them out and using them as watercolors and that because it's not even just about color, but it's about like the saturation of the color, or the boldness of the color. And so for me to be able to combine that surface uh, illustration with the form more, I wanted actually more of the clay coming through. Right. And so that watercolor aesthetic sort of allows your eye to go. There's more information here. Right. It's not this solid block of color. It's it's these little bits of layering and movement and and shadow of where the you know the paint got where the underglaze is a bit darker and stuff like that it just added so much more um that that's sort of where I've stayed but then I can play around now within like it's watercolor so I can get really subtle colors but then I can also do something really bold with a color on the same thing so like often the red hearts that I paint those are just like solid red right like Get them as chunk it, you know, like let those be the focal points. And so, yeah, like to be able to play around with your materials, to use color, not just like, oh, I've got red here and red here, and that draws my eye around the form, but also like, oh, it's just, it's like a different layer when you punch up that color, right? And so it's, you've got subtle layers and bold layers, and, you know, it just brings the eye back and forth a little bit more within the surface mm -hmm. you brought the clay into the color and the color into the clay right rather than having them as two separate pieces yeah and that's the same like conversation that people have asked me all the time like why don't you just draw deck you know draw and then get decals made and then you just slap and i'm like no it's about constantly reassessing how the colors need to be, how the line quality needs to be, all of that design stuff, right? And how the illustration wraps around something and how it goes around the handle. You can't do that with decals in the same way. Yeah. You, your work is a lot of investigation, it sounds like. Investigation of ideas and investigation of process and, and technique and emotional interaction with your with your customers right so all of this stuff so if we switch topics just for a little bit and got you to think about what advice given all of what you've talked about you might have for somebody coming up in the ceramics world how, how, what do you think they uh, could do to really enhance their work around these ideas of color and surface design Mm -hmm. Well, so this might this might be one of those things that's a little controversial, but I've actually 
use and because AI is very controversial right now within the arts and I, and I fully appreciate why on all levels um, but I also still see it as this incredible teaching tool and so one of the things that I've been doing and how I'm learning more about color using AI is is that I'm building ceramics you know air quotes in within the AI but then I what that allows me to do is work on variations of form and surface and color in ways where I can map out, you know, this project with like 40 different variations of it and be able to look at them side by side and go, okay, well, this is the form I wanted to work with, but okay, this kind of boldness really draws away from that form, right? Whereas, oh, it's more simple form. What if I stretch those, you know, those lines of what I'm making or the boldness of the color? So I actually think that's, that sometimes getting out of the material and looking at it through different lenses or different, you know, other processes gives us something that we take back to the clay afterwards. Um, so I'm actually really encouraged by the idea of using things like AI for artists to really sketch things out in a very different way and see a lot of different potential for their work and make a lot of those edits before they even reach the studio so that they go in with more focus, right? Mm -hmm. What yeah. a cool idea. Like the experimental process of clay traditionally is mm -hmm. uh, putting something on raw clay, bisking it, firing it, putting a glaze on it, uh, if we're doing functional wear. And that takes such a long time to do the experiment, whereas using it in a computer sense, in AI, you're able to do instant experiments, really, and, and try out different things that then you can apply to the clay once you're back in the studio. Yeah. And it, and I mean, and you could do all of that, like by taking doing drawings and and working in Photoshop and overlaying things. But the the speed that AI works, it's just it's so it's so incredible that you can see. Yeah. Within five minutes, you could take a student's piece and like alter it in 40 different ways. And then suddenly they're like, oh, all of these possibilities. But yeah, because I think we lose track of those possibilities when we focus like on this object and the timeline so slow and we walk away from it and we come back in a different mood and we, you know, all of those little things and uh, impact how we're dealing with that object. So yeah, I love that idea of sort of like skipping ahead a little bit in the design process. And I also, I think too, like we get stuck in what, what we think of color or what we think about art and all this kind of stuff. And, and the AI to me, I mean, like again, whole conversation about stealing artist images and stuff like that. We're, we're ignoring that right now. Right. But, but what I think it can do is it can give you other, it's always giving you something, you're giving it something and it's giving you something back. Um, and so you're responding to what it's giving you back too. So it's, it is like a conversation in a critique session where you're presenting this cup and going, okay, this is about this. Uh, what else could I do with it? And rather than another student or colleague responding, AI sort of gives you a couple other ideas or, or gives you different color points. And, and, the thing, the reality is, is that because it's pooled from so many incredible artists, 
um, what it what AI has sorted out is a lot of those design um, problems that we try and figure out, right? Like balancing color or, you know, on a two-dimensional drawing or something like that, balancing the elements um, and where your eye will go within that frame of the image that you're presenting so that, you know, oh, it's, it's set up in this nice way where there's a circular motion. So my eye keeps moving around and stuff like that. AI use, like we learn those design things in school, but AI just naturally knows those and uses those. So it's almost like some of that part is already figured out too. And that allows you to sort of focus in on, on more about what you're really interested in too, about what it is you're trying to present. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's an exciting time. And, and I felt like my palette of possibilities in the last year of working with AI and what I think ceramics can be has completely changed. Very cool. I know I've used it for words, you know, in writing text. And as you said, it's an interaction. You put in some things, it spits something out. You go, oh, I like that and don't like that. And you're doing the same thing, but with visual items. What tool are you using? I'm working with Midjourney, which right now they're in the midst of a huge lawsuit. So we'll see where that ends up. Um, yeah, it's a little it's a little scary because I've got like in over a year, like, I mean, I've got well, like probably over 15,000 renders of images that are part now of what I deem my sketchbook, right? That I want to cut and paste from. So I worry about programs like that suddenly, you know, if legally there's issues, we could lose all of that kind of stuff. But I ended up just picking one when I started and Midjourney happened to be the one. Um, and it just, yeah, I've enjoyed it. But I'm also at a point now where after a year, I can see the edges of the aesthetic of that platform like I keep you start after a while to start to see the same kinds of like color palettes or you know just different aesthetics and you know that what it's pooling from is limited and so it's interesting as an artist to try and push back against those things too right and try to you know teach it new things or show it new things and yeah yeah, what a cool concept. Now, yeah. Carol, you've got some really cool ideas. I've really enjoyed our conversation here today. And so I could see that you would be a great mentor or a teacher for people. Do you have any courses or do you do mentorship with people around the world? Um, I do at different times. Um, I'm actually a part of um, what's called the clay cohorts this year in 2024. And so I don't have any of the details and I don't think there's anything on a website, but I do believe like April, possibly in September, are two months when I'm actually going to be mentoring um, through the clay cohorts. And so folks can sign up for that. Um, and they have an entire program with other artists all throughout the year who are incredible. And I feel like I should sign up for everybody else's too. Yeah, right? yeah. Cool. That's clay. Um, uh, so I'll find out the link for that and put that up in our notes in the show notes so people can connect that way. And And how would you like people to connect with you personally? If in fact you'd like anybody to do that, as oh, you have do. a website or yeah, <laughs> it just has to come with the warning that I I'm not the type of person that answers my emails every day. So, um, but definitely emails are best, probably because I feel like I can search them the easiest. Instagram, I feel like a lot of people come to me there, and that's lovely, and it's it's awesome because then I can just click through and you know and, and see what their portfolio looks like and give them feedback right there and then. But I don't 
I feel like I can't organize that very well. So email is the best and it's, it's just musing about mud at gmail.com. Perfect. Carol, thanks so much for the conversation here today. I just, I haven't really enjoyed it. And I think our audience will really love to hear your stories and find out about some of your methodologies to make such beautiful work. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's always just fun to, you know, get out of the studio and chit chat. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Color and Ceramics podcast with Bob Acton and his guests. Please help others find the podcast by subscribing to this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, such as iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, or other podcatchers. And don't forget to give us a review. We'll see you next time.